Thank you for listening to TMA's Practice Well podcast. TMA, helping you improve the health of all Texans. TMA has a long, proud history of promoting patient rights, advocating for physicians, and providing real solutions for your practice. We can accomplish so much when we unite in one voice. Call the TMA Knowledge Center at 1-800-880-7955 or visit TexMed.org to find out how you can join or renew your membership today. Did you know that you can claim CME credits for many of the TMA Practice Well podcast episodes? Just go to www.texmed.org forward slash CME to go. That's www.texmed.org forward slash CME T-O-G-O, to register for your episode and follow the instructions to claim CME. Policies and standards at the Texas Medical Association, the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education, and the American Medical Association require that speakers and planners for continuing medical education activities disclose any relevant financial relationship they may have with commercial entities whose products devices, or services may be discussed in the context at the CME activity. The planners and speakers for this program have nothing to disclose. Please be advised that the information and opinions presented as part of this program should not be used or referred to as primary legal sources and does not replace the advice of your healthcare attorney nor should the information and opinions presented as part of this program be construed as establishing medical standards of care for the purposes of litigation, including expert testimony. The standard of care is dependent upon the particular facts and circumstances of each individual case, and no generalization can be made that would apply in all cases. Hi, I'm Heather Betridge, Associate Vice President of Practice Management Services at the Texas Medical Association. And this is Hot Topics, TMA's newest monthly podcast episode series with Austin attorney Amanda Hill. There's a business side of medicine that brings many operational challenges that medical school and residency may not have prepared you for. And it can be an expensive learning experience when you get into a bad arrangement or an agreement. While we can't take you back to medical school or your residency and build in the the business management and leadership into your curriculum and training, we can introduce you to reputable content experts like Amanda Hill. Amanda is a speaker, author, and well-known healthcare attorney who serves physicians and practices all throughout Texas. Hi, Amanda. Welcome. Hey, Heather. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's always great to have you join us. In our last episode, we had talked about physicians who may be difficult to work with or around. 
Today, I want to take it just one step further or even flip sides and talk about what if the challenge is actually you, the physician? Whew, that's a tough one, right? Anytime we have to look inward, that is the hardest thing for us as human beings. So, or so I've been told, I mean, you know, I'm perfect, but I'm kidding. That's the issue with looking at ourselves and trying to analyze our flaws is often we don't see them. And so I hope that everyone listening to this episode today can really dig deep because I think it's a really good exercise for us to look at our practices and say, is there something that we can change? You know, you get into a habit, human beings are habit driven people. You drive to the same place, you go to the same place to eat. You're in autopilot a lot of the times, and we don't recognize some of our bad habits unless they're actually brought to our attention or we dig deep and we try to look for them. So I want to try to start with this story. I got a call from a surgeon and he was getting terrible online reviews. And the reason he called me was to try to get some of them removed, which I do from time to time, um, have some success being able to sort of clean up the provider's online presence. If there's lots of weird wonky reviews that don't make sense or that are not really from patients or they just don't like the person politically or whatever. Well, he called and said, you know, this is ridiculous. I'm getting these bad reviews. They all need to be removed immediately. These people are crazy. Um, and so I said, well, I'll look into it. And I started looking online at his reviews and they were pretty bad. Heather, they were real bad. <laughs> it was hostile, rude, you know, curt. I didn't like him, his staff. I didn't like him. I One star over and over and over and over. And I thought, you know, I wonder if there is some truth to this because I naturally want to believe every client that they're wonderful in every way and that their patients are the problem. But when you start to see reviews over and over and over, and on top of that, he was sort of that way with me. He was curt. He was rude. You know, he called me and expected me to sort of drop everything I was doing and listen to him. So then I thought, oh my, here we go with a doctor who really does not have a lot of self-awareness. So I had to really sit down with him and his office manager and say, you know, I think this might be an issue that we need to dig a little deeper in. Let's try to not just worry so much about the negative reviews online, but let's try to go back and develop a better rapport with your patients and your staff. How about we try to get to the root of the problem instead of trying to shut down all the negative reviews? I don't think he wanted to hear that from me, but, but the truth is that that was the problem, right? He was causing the sort of tidal wave of discontent and then wanting to shut down the bad reviews. Well, they're going to happen. So that's really whew, what I wanted to talk about today. It's stressful. I understand that's hard, but it's really important. So Amanda, are there things that heavily impact or, or influence a doctor's behavior for the worse? Absolutely. Look, a physician is highly trained, very highly trained for the most part, very good at their jobs. And they sometimes lose sight of the little things. They sometimes lose sight of manners. They lose sight of how they're coming across to other people. They lose sight of the fact that medical assistants and nurses look up to them as leaders in the organization, as esteemed professionals. And it's easy to fall into the pattern where you get snippy and you start treating people, barking orders at other people, and that happens. And so it's really hard to see your own flaws. 
I think that that is the pattern that is easy to fall into when you're naturally in a leadership role. A doctor is the captain of the ship. So people will listen to a doctor. But with that privilege of being the leader also comes a responsibility to make sure that you are treating everyone with kindness and respect. You mentioned manners. So in your opinion and experience, I mean, how important is it to really have just good manners? You know, Heather, you would be surprised at how people are failing in the manners department. (laughs) I mean, when you, for example, walk into a room and someone opens the door and they barrel in front of you, if you do something kind for someone and you pick something up and they just grab it out of your hands, they don't even say thank you. These are rude encounters and it matters. But if you instead are walking into a room and someone says, oh, after you, no problem. Go ahead. You have two items in your cart and I have a whole cart full. Please go ahead. Oh, here, let me pick this up for you. Thank you. The basics of please and thank you and I appreciate you go so far in developing a rapport in a physician practice. I can't tell you the number of times, you know, nursing staff will never leave a doctor's side. If the nurse goes out of his or her way and the doctor's like, I really appreciate that. That meant a lot to me. Just saying that, how hard is that? It takes two seconds to say thank you or to look someone in the eye and say, oh, I noticed that you brought in donuts for the staff. Really cool. Thank you. And yes, it's really important. And it turns someone into, you know, like from a disruptive physician to a loved and admired physician to simply have good manners. It's really that important. Yeah, I agree. But might difficult patients cause physicians to get rattled? Absolutely. Are you kidding me? We're all human beings. And trust me, patients are not always the easiest. In fact, I give an entire training just on how to deal with difficult patients, right? Because sometimes it is absolutely impossible to go an entire day and see 25 people and be kind and loving and warm and show good manners every single time. So there are patients that can push your buttons. There are patients that come to you and say, I know what I have. I know my medical condition. I have researched it on WebMD and I would like a (laughs) Z-Pack. And the doctor's laughing like, oh, you went to medical school and residency and fellowship? Good to know. And those are patients that get under a doctor's skin. Absolutely. Lots of different patient dynamics can cause a physician to be frustrated. I think that A, there's training that you can work on with patients to make sure you don't show that to them. That's really important. But also, I think it's important to separate uh, your frustration from the patient and sort of put it on a shelf and say, I know that you're frustrated, but right now, let's get really back to this other issue. Acknowledge things that are going wrong, but continue to be professional. And remember, Heather, that physicians are evidence-based researchers, right? They might not want to hear it, but if you go to them and say, look, uh, Mary, we think you're a wonderful pediatrician. We like you personally. We, we've been to your house. You've cooked us dinner. We think you're a wonderful person, but you have five patient complaints against you in the last five weeks. And that is concerning. And let's go through those with you and see what's going on. Sometimes it helps to have evidence such as, you know, patient complaints or staff issues that you can sit down with them and remember Go at it 
from a direction of being helpful instead of attacking. But if you're the doctor that someone is coming at you and saying you have a bunch of patient complaints, it is 100% normal to want to get defensive. So forgive yourself. Of course, your instinct is to get defensive. How dare you come to me? Those patients, there's a reason for every single one of them. But also try to look inward and take a moment and absorb what they're telling you. Is this a group or a doctor that wants you to be successful? That's the first question. Are they wanting to fire you? Probably not. So if you know that this person wants you to be successful and they're bringing you issues that are of concern, I implore you to listen, to just set aside your ego for a moment and say, huh, that the optics of that do look bad. Let me dive into that and see if maybe there's something I'm doing that is contributing to this. And it could be an easy fix. A lot of the complaints could be, I hear this a lot where he was in and out or she just barely spoke to me. She looked at her computer the whole time. Those are things that you can fix. Trust me. There are lots of skills that you can build um, to where you can sit down in the room and not look at the EMR as much where you can, it just takes four more extra minutes and the patient feels like they've been in there for 30 minutes. There's lots of tricks and tips on that, but listen when someone comes to you and says, Hey, there might be a problem because only when a physician listens, will he or she begin to say, oh, wait, I have to figure this out. Unless you're talking about a true narcissist and someone that has no optics into the role that they play in life, a lot of times you can get a doctor to say, okay, I'm going to try to work on that. And then that is a wonderful position because then you can say, I'm going to work on that, but I think I might need some help. I think I'm going to maybe hire someone or work with someone that can maybe help me with this. I mean, that's the gold standard. So what if the patient doesn't say something? What if the a, a physician's sharp words or behavior bleeds over to the patient? They don't say anything, but really the physician needs to or should apologize to the patient. How should that be handled? You know, apologies are interesting. It seems as if sometimes highly trained professionals are reticent to apologize. I get it, right? I mean, it's like if I say, oh, I, I think I messed up on that legal advice. I'm sorry. Then you think my professional credibility is damaged. I cannot admit I made a mistake. Let me challenge that a little bit because I find in my working with this population of doctors and patients for 20 plus years that it is definitely a relationship between a doctor and a patient. It's an ongoing relationship. And there are times when a doctor has to say to their patient, I am so sorry. I simply forgot to put in that order. Let me make it up. Let me make sure I do it right now. I'll drop everything and make sure I make it right. Oftentimes when a doctor can actually admit a mistake, it makes them human. And the patient says, I totally get it. I work at Dell. I'm just as stressed on a daily basis as you. And I forget things sometimes. That's okay. And, you know, everyone thinks you're going to make yourself look terrible or like an idiot when sometimes you just have to say, I dropped the ball on that. You know, I see a lot of patients and I, I don't think I called you about that test result, or I don't believe that I did that correctly, or maybe I missed something on a scan and let's, let's make it right. Now, obviously if you know, you need to be cautious if it's a true patient risk management issue. You don't want to say, oh, it's true. I missed your cancer. Womp womp. You know, I'm talking more about day-to-day -day 
routine errors that happen. I'm sorry, I forgot to fax that to you, to your kid's school. I know I was supposed to, I'm going to do it right now. And so I just want you to know that not all apologies are bad. And some of them actually help and go a long way between you and the patient's relationship. So shifting gears a little bit, you know, we know that physicians are staying in active practice well past retirement age these days. What are some issues that come into play as physicians age? You know, as a lawyer, this is always a sticky subject for me to talk about because of the ADA and disabilities. And, you know, it's it's kind of one of those we don't talk about things when people get older and have maybe some issues or some disabilities. So I'm going to go at it from this direction. Yes, a physician has to be able to perform the essential functions of his or her job. If you are a surgeon and you are walking in and you have a medical condition that causes your hands to tremble and there's no medicine, there's no accommodation that can stop it, it's probably time that you retire. It's just the fact that you cannot perform your job any longer. If you are getting dementia and you literally can't remember things from day to day enough to document in the medical record and nothing seems to be helping, it might be time to take up gardening and not be a doctor. And that is a hard truth, but it's something that I think you need to look inward about and say, do I have the skills to continue operating in a way that is really good for my patients? And trust me, I think a lot of doctors are pretty good about that. I've heard some say, it's time. I can sense that I don't have the same acuity. I don't have the same mental stamina. I'm tired. I don't want to do this anymore. I've been doing it for 50 years. It's time to time to let it go. And that is really wise when you can come to that realization on your own. Sometimes it just might mean a reasonable accommodation. I mean, if you have a vision impairment, then it might just take a larger screen. Or if you have a hearing impairment, it might just take, you know, getting a hearing aid and making sure that you can still do your job effectively. You just need some help and you might want to talk to your, your group and say, you know, I'm having these back problems because of my years and years of running and I'd like a standing desk and that's really going to be helpful for me. So be aware of your limitations. And if there is a way to accommodate yourself, then you should do it. I mean, sometimes when we get older, you know, our body gets a little creakier and we might need to wear certain really comfortable shoes. I mean, the stilettos ladies are done after a certain age, you know, we have to take care of our bodies. And so that is something to be really mindful of and look inward to say, how am I taking care of myself as I get older? And am I able to treat patients well, or am I not doing them a good service anymore? Because at a certain point, you know, cause no harm means doing the very best you can for your patients. And if you can't do it, then you need to really consider, can I go to part-time and do it well, or is it time to retire? Yes. Excellent. Excellent points. You know, we also know that physician burnout is a very real and, and prevalent national problem right now. And can certainly lead to, you know, challenging words and behaviors. Do you have some suggestions that can help physicians really rebalance their work and and personal life? Great question. You know, I think a lot of the times it is based on stress. Stress is absolutely toxic. um, And it's so prevalent in Western culture and in America, you know, hustle, 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 see more patients. A lot of times it might be driven from 
productivity demands or your group or your hospital that's putting this pressure on you. But humans under stress don't act nicely and behave well all the time because your body only has so much capacity for handling stress before it starts to bubble over. And then you start to feel helpless and trapped and depressed. And then you start to hear physicians saying things like, nothing I even do matters. Why try? I'm so tired of administration just micromanaging me. They don't even care about me. I'm just a widget. And that starts to feed into your psyche and your narrative. And you begin to get so burned out. You think, I don't want to practice medicine. I want to travel the world and be a, and be a blogger. <laughs> and you're yet, you're trained to be a doctor. Please don't give up on this esteemed profession. We love you doctors, but you have to feel supported. It's usually the darker current, right? Of management, this feeling of being told what to do. I don't have any autonomy. Those are symptoms that you might start to get burned out. And one thing I talk to doctors about is really holding your boundaries. There are certain boundaries that you can't make. For example, you know, you can't sit there 45 minutes with every patient. You wouldn't make any money. You can't run your practice that way. So certain things are non-negotiable. Yes, you have to get through a certain number of patients a day, but you can get there 15 minutes early and calmly drink your coffee and make sure that everything is organized for the day in front of you. So you start your day off well. You can also say, I'm sorry, my lunch break, that 30 minutes is sacrosanct. That is the time where I have my lunch. I walk outside. I walk out of this clinic building into the sunlight. I get on my feet. I get my head clear. That is very important to me and everybody knows it. Those types of boundaries are really helpful in keeping yourself grounded you know, learning to let things go, maybe a bad patient interaction that happened in the morning that won't affect the rest of your day. Those small things you'd be surprised have a real impact upon burnout. Sometimes doctors say to me, I, I can't get the administration done. I cannot get all these charts done. The documenting is killing me. I also have some administrative duties in this practice. I don't have the time. So they might want to take half a day a week, and it might be worth it to get a little less money. Trust me, money is not always the motivating factor here. Sanity right? and longevity of your career is so important that it might be, yes, I'd rather take a tiny bit less money and carve out half a day a week where I can sit here and get all this caught up and feel organized and go home feeling refreshed. It might also be that you might want to pay for a scribe even pay for it yourself or ask your clinic for a certain period of time during a season in your life that this would be really helpful. And I guess I'll also advise doctors, you're not superhuman, right? I'm not superhuman as a lawyer. We can't get up at 4 a.m. and work all day and take care of our family and make dinner and do the dishes and all the monotony that was required in a day and fall asleep at night and wake up and be cheerful and kind and wonderful every moment. We have to take care of ourselves. And if that means going to your doctor, making sure your hormones and your medicines and your health is being taken care of, that is really crucial because I tell you the worst that I see is when a doctor does not take care of his or her health. And it, it makes me scratch my head. It's like, this is your profession. You are trained to look at people and say, how can I make you healthy and yet you're eating fast food, you're not getting enough sleep, you're not getting exercise, right? So 
taking care of yourself is really important and it does help with burnout. Now, the last one, Heather, I hate to say it's the most important because obviously that's subjective. But in my experience, finding the fun and the joy in your work is, in my experience, one of the most relevant burnout issues. If you find your job monotonous and boring and tedious and work, then you will get burned out. I don't care how great you take care of yourself and how well padded your orthotic shoes are. You're going to be burned out because you do not enjoy it. And sometimes work is work, right? We can't always be super excited about every single patient that comes in the door, but you got to find the fun. You have got to find a way in that job to create inside jokes with your staff, you know, laugh with your patients. I mean, this is not a death sentence. This is an amazing career. And there's a way that you're going to be able to go in there and say, I'm going to find the joy and the fun in this day, because you're not going to get burned out if you're having fun and you're laughing with your staff. And I promise you, humor is just as important as any medicine. Joy and humor and lightness in your day makes your life better. And a lot of times I I try to encourage doctors to find humor in their day. Watch it, see it, encourage, read it. Weave humor and joy into your daily practice and you will find yourself having a renewed vigor and you don't really understand why. It's almost like a natural antidepressant. So I think if you can take care of yourself, have a better daily balance, it's not about taking a Tahiti vacation. And Heather, I know that doctors probably tell you that, or you're going to hear that is I just need a vacation. I'm going to push back on that because I think going away for a week to Italy and then being jet lagged and coming back to a stack of patient charts is not the way to cure burnout. The way to cure burnout is to do it on a daily basis, prevention, taking care of yourself, laughter, fun, making sure that you're holding your boundaries. That is my advice. Well, Amanda, I have had a lot of fun speaking with you today, and I think I need a little vitamin D and sunlight in my life right now. So thank you for speaking with me. How can, um, how can our listeners learn more about what we talked about today? Well, please email me. I absolutely love hearing from listeners and doctors. You can go to my website, hillhealthlaw.com, and I will send you a summary of this episode. So I'm thrilled to help doctors. It's what I love to do. And Heather, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. Oh gosh, thank you, Amanda. We appreciate it. And for all the guidance you've shared. To our listeners, we hope you found this episode beneficial. Be sure to check the episode description for the link to email Amanda and for the link to the TMA Education Center where you can claim CME as well as access more education related to this topic. Watch for next month's episode in this series where we will discuss keeping pace with practice changes. Remember to like and follow the TMA Practice Well podcast so you get every episode. Until next time, stay well.